0: the jewish trauma network provides education guidance and inspiration to individuals and families suffering from trauma to help them create a better life of connection and self-actualization i'm your host dr yosef tropper and my greatest wish is to bring calmness hope and success to your life this is a special and also short episode but i hope important and helpful um i want to talk about the situation in Eretz Israel right now Um, the purpose of a jewish trauma network is to help people and support people and for the last few weeks there's been a lot of needs and i'm very honored to have worked with many people and to continue to work with people to try to help community needs and uh needs in eric israel and needs in all different types of places supporting therapists there and here and families and i want to encourage everybody to reach out for help if they need help because there's tremendous amounts of kindness and chesed and organizations and there's lots of inspiration I want to share a couple of quick thoughts about the situation. First and foremost, I want to talk about uh, what I'm hearing time and time again from parents and from children, and that is that the amount of information that's being shared with kids, although in some ways, you know, when something's going on, we want to learn more, it's not helpful to the children. And I'll give you three main examples of what I mean. If you're a school, it's very beautiful that you're saying to Hillam and you're teaching the children about uh, thinking about Eretz Israel. In fact, Rabbi Mandelbaum Zatzal in Baltimore who passed away I believe it was 1995 or 96, um, At a very young age. He taught me tremendous amounts by when I was a child in in the 80s and 90s, growing up and watching how he would daven if shach was sick or he would daven if there was a situation, an attack or something in Eretz Yisrael. And it was always one quick thought and idea and a quick capital and a very, very heartfelt cry and a very, very heartfelt and appropriate conversation. And that is something that I think is a beautiful way to be mechanich. for children in the middle school age, or lower, certainly lower, to be saying Tehillim every single day and every single hour of the day um, is not necessarily the most helpful thing for them. Um, I get it. If someone's you know parent is being operated on or Tzlan, for some type of issue, and they say Tehillim once, maybe twice a day, that's a beautiful thing for Chinuch. And Gal is in a place of tsar, so we're not discounting that message, but for certainly elementary school children and I believe um, middle school as well, it, it becomes a little bit too intense. In high school, it's a different story. Um, obviously, you know, a little bit more exposure, a little bit more conversation. I, I would hope that conversations are taking place based on, you know, putting the children's well-being, mental health first. Th- that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, our own consumption of media. Um, we have to be careful what pictures we, we show our children. Um, our, our children are scared about what they're hearing. And they're also scared about our reactions. And so we want to make sure that we're giving them a message of safety and security. And as many of the teachers and and principals have said, a social media diet is very much called for. And um, my hope is that I see so many problems associated with social media. I myself, thankfully, have been off of social media for many, many years. Um, and I'm not an active consumer of it as much as I can. I call it the brainless scrolling. Um, I really try my best not to have any brainless scrolling, but certainly keeping it down to a minimum because it's a it's a bottomless pit and abyss where either certain ones you learn how to have a negative attitude and how to skew things, and other ones you learn just all types of negativity that's coming your way, all types of comparisons about why you're inferior, which is also not helpful. And the third thing is, with the limiting the amount of tehillim, with the limiting uh, intake of information, we also have to be honest with our children. Now that is each kid according to their own understanding. We're not lying to them and denying the fact that there's a war, because I don't want them to hear that information for other people. But we are, um, you know, being open and honest as much as we can, whatever is age appropriate, knowing our children, okay? Those are a couple of thoughts. The next thing is that a lot of people are reaching out and saying, hey, I have I have problems in my life, but I feel guilty because, you know, Claudius has a problem as well. I want to clarify something that I've heard from many people and something that I've seen for myself, and that is that there's nothing wrong with understanding that if something is going on in your personal life, you're allowed to be in pain. What I mean to say is that, you know, if you're going through a personal challenge, whether it's health, marital, relational, familial, um, mental health, whatever it is, um, that should not be minimized because of the situation in the world that people are in. Um, I'll tell you something very beautiful. I was discussing this with a good friend of mine, um, who's a very big bald and he really inspired me. And basically he said to me, you know, I've been giving a lot of individual attention to individual needs. For example, there was a Uh, unfortunately, somebody that passed away recently. And he said, you know, I made sure that I wanted to take care of them financially. And I said, why is that? So he said, well, because I think everybody is um, focused on Eretz Israel, which is very appropriate, but that doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, Almanus Yosemim and other people that need attention. And I thought that was very, very beautiful and something that I'm trying to emulate as well, that let's not forget, um, you know, there are small individual, aside for collective tragedies, there there are small individual people as well. um, And and they need our attention. And, And so therefore, it's really, really important that in a time of crisis, um, you give yourself a space to feel the, your own problems that are going on in life. Yes, it's true that there is an element of healthy attitude of, hey, when Kalei Yisrael is bizarre that maybe you could sit with them and you could feel some of that pain, whether it's once a day, whether it's once a week, whatever whatever capacity you have, and to cry out and delve to Hashem, um, which is why I think it's beautiful for each person to do that on their own level and their own way. Um, and, and, and even to withhold some indulgement, um, which is also important to some degree. Um, but if there are things that you do for your mental health, don't neglect that and don't forget that, um, and don't think, don't let your problem get swallowed up in this problem. There's a very famous Medrash that says that Rabbeinu Akadosh, when he used to mourn the base of Megdash, um, he used to, um, he, he would go outside and there was a woman in the neighborhood who had lost a small child, and, and every night she would cry herself to sleep and she would wail. And the Medrash in Echa actually says that he would wail along with her. And this is, obviously, there's a lot of lessons behind this about compassion, but or of gifters, that's all. Or Mordechai Gifter says a very famous pshat, and that is that that this wailing and crying that she was doing was actually not separate, meaning it, it wasn't just even a muscle of oh she lost something and Hashem lost something. No, it was literally all pain and all troubles. They come from the destruction of the Beis Migdash. So to a certain degree, all tragedies and all sad things that are happening are actually part of that big picture of us not having the shemita and us not being in in Lime and, and not having. Uh, the, the olam kitikuno so to a certain degree even your tragedy and your pain and the suffering that you are actually going for is also part of the collective tragedy I mean you know in, in today's world when was the last time you said Beisrael, of our dear brothers who are put in captivity and you actually thought about the word captivity literally and took it literally I I haven't my whole life I always thought it meant um you know they're stuck under, under um, or they're you know they're stuck in bad situations literally who are in, in captivity very, very tragic, but that's that's what it is. And, and in fact, there's there's a Chavetz Chaim that says very beautiful thing as well, that when a person daven's, so you could tell who they are based on how they raise their voice. For example, there's some people that in Shvane Esrei they cry out to Hashem, Baruch Hashem, please give me pranas. I want money. Okay, nothing wrong. You're turning to Hashem, right? But and then there are some people they they cross and they cry when they say Rufeinu, right? Because. They have someone sick in their family. But the Chavetz says that if people understood correctly, the greatest place where they should cry, which would solve all of our problems, is that Hashem should bring the B'Shamidosh back. Because that is literally the, the source of all problems. And so what I'm trying to say with that is to fortify the idea that you could have your own individual problem, and and at the depth of it, that's actually part of the exact problem that's going on. I want to share one more thing. Um, you know, I think that because I'm a mental health therapist, I'm always careful what I put out. And I do want to say that my heart goes out to all the innocent people that have died and been murdered. And and, and I, I can't say that in stronger, uh, stronger words. And I'm not going to say anything political and I'm not going to say anything um, more than there are evil people that are trying to destroy the Jewish nation. There are evil people that are trying to destroy many innocent people that don't deserve to be destroyed. And for that, we have a right to stand up and, and, and defend ourselves, just like nobody questioned the United States. Making major attacks in Afghanistan um, against Al Qaeda after nine eleven, and no one said, "Oh well, look at all the civilians." Anyway, so but what I will say is that one of the things that has been on my mind significantly is the world of trauma that we live in, which causes so much more conflict and so much more fanaticism and so much more disconnect that makes it very very difficult to to reconcile these things. But there's one thing that has been on my mind very very deeply, and that is. Um, this idea of the tunnels. The tunnels are something that are very, very scary. They're actually, uh, according to many people, a North Korean invention that uh, they are terrorists and they support Hamas. Um, in fact, many of their weapons were used in the, um, in the atrocities that were perpetrated. And they, one thing that they perfected over the last many years, many decades, is this tunnel system, which Hamas has adopted. And in fact, many armies and many governments are looking with horror to see how Israel deals with this because it's very complicated, especially now that we know that the hostages are being stored there, which is you know a further human shield that Hamas uses. Um, so what I want to say is something very fascinating, and that is that there's always a spiritual connection in things that are going on. There's a very famous Gemara in Maseches Sukkah, which gives me chills to think about because it's at the, all the way at the end of Masechus, um Sukkah, which is where a tragedy happened. All at the end of Sukkah. And it says that there are seven names to the Yetzirah, and the Yetzirah we know is the Malachamavis, who once is dead, and the Satan, who is Makatrig, the sinner, and represents all evil in this world. And so the Gemara says that Hashem called him Ra, which is probably the most simple definition. Yetzir other Otherim Ra, like we had in the Parsha recently. And Moshe called him Arl, which is very fascinating in itself. And David called him Tameh, Leiv Tahr Bar I want to leave Tahar, not to leave Tameh. And Shlomo called him Im Rov Soanecha Chilai and as you go through history, Yeshaya called him Michal, uh, Rimu, Michshol, Meidarachami, and Yeheskel um, called him Evan, which is which is getting closer to our generation, is um, the, the, the stone of uh, the heart of stone. And finally, in the last permutation of it is Yoel. Pesach Bayis, Perak Bayis, Pesach Chav. That's Tsfoni He called him Tsfoni. Tsfoni means the hidden one, like we have in um, Pesach, we have Tzfon, which is the hidden the Afikomen. And the Mepharshim say that these seven names all represent different generations. And the prophecy of um, Yol, which is very scary because it talks about the, it's basically apocalyptic. and It talks about the the, you know, about the, uh, the famous uh, four species of Arba, of locusts that'll invade Eretz Israel, which uh, Barbanel and many other Rishonim say represents armies and take over. But I'm not going to try to creep people out because that's actually my last thought about that. <laughs> so what I want to say is that this last Gullis represents Yoel's prophecy of the um, Tzaphoni, something that's hidden inside our heart. And the Yitzhahar is hidden inside us. And if you look, it says that the Tzaphoni tries to destroy the Beis Amigdash and the Jews, and especially coming to Chachamim. If you look in the Gemara, it's very eerie. But what I want to say is that the Zelu the the thing that's opposite the other, is this this Yitzhahar that's inside our hearts, that's hidden in the tunnels and the inner recesses of our hearts, that corresponds to the physical... Um, evil that's embodied by hamas which also resides in the in the tzfon in the hiddenness of the ground and it's not insignificant that the, the last spiritual um, battle that we have so to speak that seems to be the the kali uh sayer of Chosno, the um esav and his um esav who represents sayer and chosnow his son-in-law which is yishmal because he he was married to basmas bas yishmal so that is the last Gullus, as Rashi and Zahari Perak Zion has a famous list, that the Dalad are really two in each one. Parasimani is most famous for two, but but um, Gullus Edom was really Edom v. Yishmael, which we know, and we see that many, many times. And Yishmal is Amadom le'chamar, Kiyadua from the Grah, and the Hamar is Ani Verocheval which is David Amal, who fights it, which is why there's so much Telem, and there's so much Yishmael. Hashem will here, the of Klay like the Pirkei of Lezer says, at Akhir Sayyamim. And by the way, Yoel's father was Pesuel which according to some unfortunately um, is actually Shmuel, which is part of the name Yishmael, Shmuel. Hashem will hear our as well. But it's also that pat- Patu El, that he um, seduced God with his prayers, that th- this this last gullus requires tremendous amounts of tefillah. Anyway, there's a lot being said there, and there's a lot that's been shared. But I want to say that this enemy that lives as that, that, a saphoni in the final apocalyptic stage um, is here in Achar Sayyamim, and um, that, that's what we need to work on inside our hearts to purify them and to get close to Hashem. We should be so to do that. The last thing I want to say is that let's be careful because when we start spreading rumors and things about saying that, you know, this is it, this is the final thing, Mashiach is coming, that's very dangerous because we know what happened throughout history that when there were people that came and said this, many Jews got up and, and, and therefore, you know, sold their property for any, you know, small amount of money and did all types of fanatical things, and then Mashiach didn't come. And then everybody was disappointed, and it makes people lose faith in Mashiach. Uh, for example, the Malbim in, in uh, Daniel has a cheshbon about when Mashiach will come, based on the Pesach, manamana mana you know, the counting of when Mashiach will come, and he says it'll come, and I think if you figure it out, he says like 1912. So the answer is that this is an auspicious time, it's true, and there are times where Mashiach is literally at our doorstep, and if we stand up and we rise to the occasion, perhaps as a nation it's possible that it will come now, and let's not forget that, and let's hold that hope, because that is definitely an amazing salvation that we're looking forward to. But... The idea of you know putting that as this is definitely what it is, and we could tell that's very dangerous territory. And let's be careful in how we say. A lot of people think that the war of Gog you know, will will take place in Arctisrael. How long? How short? Etc. There's there's a lot of amazing and beautiful connection in the air, and let's let's try to ride with that. Let's try to ride with that connection and acceptance. It's sad that a tragedy like this has to bring Kaliyestrel together, but nonetheless, it is bringing Kaliyestrel together. And let's focus on that. So please. Bottom line is, don't expose the kids to social media and inappropriate things. Don't overburden them with Tehillim. Don't underburden yourself and say, well, I have no right to have personal suffering now that this is going on. No, be mishdatev with the Tzibor, but also understand that, that, that they're going through a very hard time. And please take care of yourself. That's very, very important. Don't forget about that. Anyway, I said it was going to be short. It's not as short as I thought, but these are important points that are on my mind. And may Hashem answer all of our Tfilos and Sandra a Refua and Yeshua to everybody um, and of course mishiba Gula, and we should all be zochet so to share and many good things together, and all the trauma should be healed in that in that moment of, of great revelation from Hashem. I'm back again. It's so hard to leave because I have so many things I want to share. I have one more uh, psychological point and two more spiritual points, which I hope will be inspirational as well. Um, the first psychological point, which is very very practical, is that Peter Levine describes that a lot of trauma takes place, uh, not in fight and flight, but rather in freeze. And basically what happens is a person feels disempowered as if they can't go anywhere, they can't do anything. And oftentimes in a lot of his somatic work and the work that we do with clients, we ask people to put their feet down and to move them as if to signify that they could actually move and go somewhere. Because when trauma happens, we get an adrenaline rush and we want to move, but oftentimes we're stuck and freeze at the same exact time. And I heard this from Bessel Van der as well. Same idea that when somebody experiences acute trauma, that's especially one that's going on, for example, right now where we're hearing lots of you know sad news from Eretz Israel, or running to bomb shelters for those that are living there, or just um, you know, people living worried about our rel- friends and relatives and family, etc., that are there, um, there's this desire to want to move and do something, and um, this could be manifest in many many ways. But basically, in order to keep that movement going, what is healthy is Find expressive outlets where we could do things, whether it's writing cards to Hayalim, whether it's getting involved with community work, whether it's reaching out to others. But that activity is a very important a springboard for being able to release some of that trauma. We don't want to sit around and just feel like we can't do anything. And so therefore, a lot of people are sleepless. A lot of people have this adrenaline rush, which is keeping them awake. We want to find a place to give it an outlet to that. And so that's very, very important when going through trauma. And I think that's important. That's why I added that here. So that's a psychological point. Find a healthy outlet for your adrenaline rush. Um, The second two spiritual things um, are, are, are item number one, which I don't profess to understand fully, but it's definitely something worth thinking and then think about. And then item number uh, two, which I think is, is is part of a concept that I developed. So uh, there's a very uh, famous Zohar about Akhir Sayyamim, the end of days. And again, as I said, I don't know, you know, I'm not defining what's going on at all, but we know that we are getting towards the end of 6,000 years. And we know that there's a lot of Madrasian that seem to say that Ishmal is is the main culprit in, in, in wars. And there are other Madrasian that say maybe Paras, which might be Iran and other things, uh, you know, etc. But one thing that is very fascinating to me is that there's a there's a famous soar in Parsha's Faira that describes um, that Avraham davened, he said, Hashem, please let Ishmael live and be, be successful. And this is, on the one hand, it's understandable that, uh, you know, a father would have Rachmanus on his son. And also, if you think about Yishmael by himself, like yishmal was a complex person because on the one hand, he came from Hagar and Hagar was someone that Agra, this is your reward. He, she was the daughter of Paro and the king. She was a princess, and she was given to to um, to um, Avraham as a recognition of his greatness, as as many imperial kingdoms used to uh, marry off their daughters to different countries in order to keep peace between them. And so there's a certain element of greatness that Agra has, and an angel even speaks to her. Um, but at the same time, she still had her roots in Egypt, which is why she married uh, her son off to someone in, in Egypt, like we read, um, you know, Egyptian woman, uh, like we read on Rosh Hashanah. And so there's this dichotomy of contradictory feelings of who am I and what do I believe in, which is there. And that's part of the para-adam, the confusion um, of, of this of this creature. Um, and so what's what's very, very tragic is that it says that Ishmael will attack um, the Jewish people at the end of days by land um, and by water and by... Um, desert. And, and this is really, really eerie when we think about what happened. And anyway, so one of the things it says is that um, that because of the prayers of Avraham, which gave life to Yishmael, um, this will give power to Ishmael. Now this is hard to understand because how could this happen? But you see, there's a myself a similar bottom here that innately in in the nation, there's a certain element of of mercy, perhaps even inappropriate mercy that Avraham instilled in the Jewish people to have against Ishmael, which is literally what keeps them alive and keeps them as a protagonist, obviously because God wants it as well, but to some degree. Now, in, in, in our perspective, uh, you know, God wants justice, and that's our job. Um, but to a certain degree, there's some vitality there, and there's a enigmatic paracet of even says, and again, we have to take it with a grain of salt, but it's Chazal, it's of we have to understand it, but it even says that at the end of days when Avraham will try to comfort the Jews, they will not accept it. Because they'll say, look at your prayer that you put in on, on behalf of Yishmael, and Look at how much pain and suffering Yishmael caused us. And so to a certain degree, there's there's an element. What is it? It's that Avraham represents chesed and kindness. And that chesed and kindness, um, that compassion, that humanitarian compassion, is very, very dangerous. Now, I don't claim to understand what that means. But all I know is that there's some very, very fascinating hints there. The last thing that I want to say is that when I talked about the Esatzfoni the, Archik, the hidden tunnels inside our own hearts. So it's something very fascinating. Um, and there's a two-pronged ha'ara. First of all, we don't know why Israel is waiting. Are they waiting because they were caught with their pants down and they didn't really have a plan? Uh, there are some politicians that are saying that, and there's definitely good speculation. But we, we just like we don't understand the Israeli army and what their calculations are, Kaviachal um, <laughs> and, and, of course, Lahavdil Elif, you know, Elefem, there's so many secret things that go on behind the scenes. We don't understand Hashem either and, and his his bonus. But most importantly, what I want to say is that there has been speculation that one of the ways, one of the tactics for the tunnels is cutting off electricity. Um, the ventilation systems down there are very sensitive. And if the Israelis are able to cut off electricity to make it that it's impossible to live there and, and that the literally the terrorists would be facing suffocation uh, by being down there, um, then that's a way to get them out of a tunnel. And that's a very, very interesting military tactic. And whether it works, whether it's being done, I, I don't know. But one thing I want to say is that it's the same thing. If we want to get rid of the Sahara, we have to recognize that there's no air to it, that the Sahara is a liar, um, like Chalas Ababa says, the biggest liar, and it's the biggest battle that we fight. And one, of, one of, my, my Rebbe always used to say that we don't talk about the Sahara. So I'll try to make it brief because people are not listening and people don't take it and understand it. But the, the bottom line is that one of the things that we, we when we clap al Khit, we say Hashem, we're sorry for what we did, we'll it, and it wasn't worth anything. If we take out the wind from all the sails of the Sahara, we recognize that he, he literally is offering us nothing. And the way to understand, the way to clean out our hearts is to recognize that this person has no oxygen, this, this, this creature that's trying to make a sin and to do bad things to turn away from Hashem has nothing to it. Um, and that's that's the way that we fight that zifoni that that thing that lurks inside us that yitzel lev other rabbi nurav that that is so deep inside us and the way we purify our hearts is to be able to pull out the oxygen pull out the wind and that's the way that we clean ourselves out we recognizing that only connection to Hashem and only Torah Mitzos is the most valuable thing in life I hope that everybody finds this inspirational and as our Hashem we should be Zoka to be united in Eretz Yisrael here we may Thanks for listening to the Jewish Trauma Network. For additional resources, free and premium courses, leave questions or suggestions, or to support our mission, please visit jewishtrauma.com. And always remember, your life can and will be better.